Hey guys, welcome to Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. My name is Luis. And I'm Scott. Welcome to today's podcast. Let's get started. Hello, listeners. Today we have a special interview with our good friend, Jeff Vanderstoe. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this interview. But for the sake of time, this interview is going to be split into two parts. Enjoy the first half of the interview now, and stay tuned for the next episode with part two of our interview with Jeff. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hey guys, welcome back to uh, Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission uh, in ways that are easy to understand. Today, we have uh, a good friend of the Simple Church Collective, uh, my good brother, uh, Jeff Vanderstelt. Jeff, welcome to the show. Um, just want to create a little context. Uh, Jeff and uh, Melissa and I have been uh, in a mentorship relationship for the last six months or so. Would you say that that's right? Mm-hmm, um, yeah. And been exploring what it looks like to, uh, you know, launch these uh, simple churches here in the greater Seattle area. We got connected through a, a group at Exponential that, you know, is basically exploring the same thing, micro churches and the micro church movement. So, Jeff, glad to have you here. We're so glad that you took uh, some time this morning to join us. That's good to be yeah. with you guys. Yeah, thank you, Jeff, for being with us. Uh, for our listeners who may or may not be familiar with you or your work or what you've been doing, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, I served as a youth pastor for 14 years and a variety of different churches, small to big, and really saw a consistent pattern that when students were equipped, in everyday life to be disciples who make disciples, they they saw gospel fruit. And and yet I'd see them graduate in what they call big church. And in, in their words, they were encouraged to take a seat and watch somebody else do it. And, uh, and so enough of that for me. And I realized, you know, we got to start churches that call everybody into the mission of Jesus and expect every disciple to learn how to be a disciple, making disciple in all of life, which led me to start a church in uh, Tacoma, Washington, called Soma, and that started with a group of about 15, 20 people who I trained to do this in what we called missional communities, and those multiplied over the years, and uh, that grew to be a family of churches all over North America and beyond. And then we started a, a work called Saturate, which was a not-for-profit existing to train, equip, coach leaders, churches, and everyday people to learn how to do this themselves with the goal of seeing uh, cities and regions throughout all of North America saturated with the good news of Jesus. And we really believe that was, that's always been God's intent, that there would be a day when every man, woman, and child in every space would have an opportunity to meet Jesus through his church on mission in everyday life. And so that's what I, I give my time to. Now, I, I have been a pastor not only as a church planter in Tacoma, but also replanted a church here in Bellevue that was Mars Hill. Um, and when everything kind of fell apart several years ago in 2014, I was asked to come in and replant Doxa Church here in Bellevue out of uh, the campus here. And I've been doing that for the last six and a half years. And uh, now I'm I'm stepping back into uh, full-time, more apostolic work, serving the larger church uh, in this region, as well as around the country and around the world. So really coming alongside of helping people like Luis and Melissa uh, as they plant churches um, uh, and and really just doing my best to father and mentor leaders yeah. and uh, serve the church. 
That's what I'm starting. I'm about to leave on a sabbatical in about five days, though. So then Let's I'll be go. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're we're so glad we were able to get you before you went on sabbatical. We know how important, you know, yeah, rest. Being, being well rested. Yeah. And rejuvenate. Yeah. And renewal is mm-hmm. to to doing ministry well. And we're grateful. There's been so many people that we've talked to throughout our time, even before we were in this kind of micro church space um, that have been blessed by you and your ministry, Jeff. And Melissa and I personally have been just super blessed. Just we sense that fathering. We do sense that. And so we need more fathers and mothers, right? And, and mm. in the church and, and, and less heavy handed leaders. Let's talk about the church, right? Let's talk about the state of the church. 2020 and so far 2021 has been a crazy, crazy time uh tell us a little bit you know just what do you think about where we are uh and and, and where do you think we're heading or maybe should be heading so that's the, a little bit of a loaded question but yeah there's a lot there I'll, I'll i'll start on the individual level uh because many pastors are overwhelmed they're discouraged they're depressed they're they're wrestling with should they just leave ministry some have right. said one in three will leave the ministry um and it looks like that's probably going to be the case. Uh, so I'll start there. I think um, there's something there that needs to be addressed, which is the the emotional, mental health of leaders. Yeah. And I, I think in many cases we have not done a good job over the years of caring for the emotional uh, and relational health of our leaders. And so I think that's that's on the horizon. More and more people are talking about how that's got that's got to change, and even how we. We lead the church, and how we set up leaders in the church has got to change. So that's one thing, and we can talk more about that if you want. The the second thing, many, as you know, many pastors, because they lost their Sunday uh, mm. gathering space, mm. uh, were are now aware of how how in how unprepared their disciples were. Um, yeah, that most people didn't know how to sustain a vital spiritual life in their household without overly de- overly dependent kind of uh need for the sunday to do everything for them and right. i think i think it really be- was like a, a visit to the divine physician and his you know his uh his analysis of our health was you haven't been making disciples who could thrive uh as a group of people without the sunday doing it all for them and and so therefore i think i think many are realizing sunday didn't do what we thought it did. And many of us have been mm-hmm. saying that for a long time, but I think COVID revealed it more than ever. And then there were some who were just like, well, I'm going to meet no matter what, even if the law doesn't allow me, because they don't know how to do ministry outside of Correct. a Sunday gathering where they're the preacher and kind of telling everybody um, you know, what the scriptures say. Uh, so I think that's the second thing. The third is I think people realize that there's other ways to reach people. I mean, the virtual uh, touch points that were created over COVID and our our willingness to like minister across regions has changed significantly. And I think that's going to change the face of the church moving forward as well. And I think in line with what you where you're at and what you're doing, I do believe more simple forms of church are going to be the norm uh, in the yeah. future, without a doubt. Yeah, man, there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. We definitely seen the the dependence that people had on the Sunday morning machine, right? And and how the, um, you know, I think how the Holy Spirit is inviting us uh, to um, have a prophetic imagination, have a prophetic imagination of what it, it could look like moving forward. 
um, to, to be doing church. Mm-hmm. You know, so much, I mean, you mentioned discipleship, and, and then all this goes back to discipleship, right? And, and here in America, we had, you know, the racial tension stuff, we had political stuff, and it kind of... Uh, kind of expose our lack of discipleship and our lack of faithfulness to the ideals of Jesus, of love, of, you know, loving our enemy, of praying for those who would harm us or, or, or stuff like that. When you think about discipleship, you know, what, what sort of things come to mind? And then the second part of that question is when you think about disciple making movements, what sort of things come to mind? Well, I think it's important to define discipleship because really discipleship is is leading people to be increasingly become more and more like Jesus. And the means by doing that is submission to Jesus in all of life. And it, you already said it, but this last year and a half revealed how little like Jesus we actually are. Mm. So so like if if your measurement of discipleship is not attendance giving money, using your spiritual gift in a program the church puts together, but rather your measure of discipleship is love, which is what Paul said. That's the goal of our instruction is love from a sincere faith. So that's what Jesus said would be how we're marked as his disciples by love for one another. If that was it, we failed the test, at least in mm. in the United States. I mean, we really, the, the church got revealed as a very unloving people. Not across the board, not everybody. I mean, I can tell other right. stories of unbelievable yeah. expressions of sacrificial love that took place. But what the world is seeing is not a loving church. And mm. so that's, first of all, I think we start with that. Like, are we, are we uh, known for our love? And if not, why? And therefore, what does that reveal about the nature of discipleship? And so then I would then say, when I think about discipleship that's going to form a loving people, you only form a loving people through a loving people. You don't do it through a program. You don't do it through teaching. You don't do it through reading. Yeah, you form loving people by having them be with loving people. So it's only the only way, it's just like a family. You don't raise up kids apart from relationship. You don't set them in a classroom for 18 years and hope they turn out to be something or tell them to read a book on it. You grow them up through a nurturing environment that shows them the love, uh, intangible expressions. So I think that that has huge implications for discipleship because if your primary means of discipleship is not loving, nurturing relationships that do life together, then you're not going to form disciples that look like Jesus. Uh, I was interacting with a millennial more recently, and they said, we are tired of concerts in classrooms. We want community with a cause. And I think that is the rally cry right now of the next generation, is they're just going like, we we didn't sign up for attending a church meeting. Uh, we're not here to build your thing, pastor. Yeah. We're And if they know Jesus and love Jesus and have the Spirit, they're saying, we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing and we think it looks a lot more like what we read in the book of Acts. And, uh, and so I think, I think your discipleship uh, methods are going to reveal mm. whether or not you're actually making um, disciples that look like Jesus. And the other side is true. The disciples you're making will reveal what your systems are like. And so where, I'm, where I believe the church has to repent is any way in which we've created a program or system that actually prevents people from being in mm. loving, healing, restorative relationships with one another. Uh, that's where I think the work ahead is for the church as we think about the future. Now, we can talk about disciple-making movements in a moment, but I'll pause just because yeah, there's let's a pause whole there. lot right let's in pause. that. <laughs> there's a lot right there. Um, any thoughts so far? Yeah, there's a... 
Yeah, listeners, there's a lot there. Go back, replay it, listen to it some more. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, was, there was some nuggets dropped on us. Um, I mean, loving people are formed by loving people. That's Should that be revolutionary? No, no. But honestly, that's something that, you know, we aren't, we're not taught a lot, I think. And our structures in place, at least traditionally, are, you know, programmatic and Sunday-focused. Yeah. I think you're you're correct, Jeff. On our heart has been revealed. Our disciples uh, have shown us the lack of discipleship that we have been giving them. And as a millennial, as you mentioned, you know, you talk to some millennial. It wasn't me, I promise, guys. It wasn't <laughs> me. But I agree that uh, we need community far more than we need production. I will say, coming out of COVID, I would love to go to a concert though, but. We do need uh, community so much more than we need production. And is is production valueless? No, there's still value in it. You know, do things well, but have community. Like that is that is the most important thing. And um, I, you know, I'm from Oregon, Jeff, and so uh, I had great community there. And then I moved up here, and it's been harder to form new community. But I can tell you, the community that I have formed has been life giving and revolutionary. And it's it's that that it fuels me on in the mission of Jesus, not uh, production of the church. And so, yeah, yeah, I think that is uh, something that our listeners should wrestle with and that we all need to wrestle with on some level. Someone once said, uh, you know, that discipleship is caught, not taught, right? So a, a, a program is important, right? Having some sort of system is important, but being there with people, Jeff, and this is kind of what I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, like in their day, in and day day out and like connecting with people having people at your dining room table having people in your space and i know that there's challenges with that right now in covid but maybe again having like an imagination of what what could that look like i think that's the kind of thing that we are being invited to by the spirit in in this next season and maybe we should have been doing that already but i love that you said you know this is what we need to repent of and 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 the way we see repentance here is you know repentance is always a way forward right repentance is always a way forward and so that's an invitation to get it right a second a third a fourth a fifth or sixth time and so for us, that that seems like it's something that we need to work on for sure. You know, um, when you when you think about um, making disciples in a more practical way, like um, what kind of things have worked for you, and what what have you seen um, be um, effective um, in making loving people? You know. Well, you know, coming. I want to come back to what I said earlier and how I give the answer, but I want to frame it up in the 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 concept of hospitality. So, the mm-hmm. one of the requirements of an elder is that they're hospitable. Well, the That's goal right. the goal of an elder is they're not only overseers but they're examples to the flock, according to Peter. So they're living in such That's a good. way that the 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 body knows what it looks like to be on Jesus's mission. That's what an elder's job is. It's not to be a board member, like a, a, a business, just sitting in a room making decisions. They're supposed to be amongst the flock. They're supposed to quote unquote smell like the sheep because they are one, and they also are a shepherd of the flock. And they're supposed to do the very things that they're calling everybody else to do. They aren't the exception to the rule. They're the standard of the rule. And so the word hospitality, biblically, culturally in the Middle East, was that it was the love for the stranger. That's what hospitality was. And and it, it, it meant the concept was you created margin or space 
for the outsider to feel like an insider. Um, mm. And you, you were to do that at your table. You were to do that in your home. You were to do that at your, in your fields, like even like the gleaning laws. Uh, right. You had to create margin for those who were poor to always have enough through your, your means. Uh, it was your means that they were supposed to get their needs met. <laughs> Not theirs, yeah. it was yours. Now, they had to go do the work of still, you know, get harvesting and, you know, picking the, the fruit or whatever it may have been, but you right. left it. Um, and, and there was margin in the schedule uh, uh, for God in terms of Sabbath, uh, in terms of space of rest with him, but also for people in the way that they designed their lives. Their household wasn't just a nuclear family. It was beyond that. It was a much larger group of people that they included in. And so I'd say taking all of that and saying, if leaders were to do that, to answer your question, how do you disciple people? They would be discipling people because they would be, the place of discipleship, according to Jesus, was in everyday life and especially at table. I mean, most of the stories of transformation were around a meal or around getting water at the well or, you know, around providing wine at the, at the, at the wedding feast. I mean, it was, it was so the narrative of discipleship was all around eating, drinking, celebrating, doing life. And yet um, most of us see church as like an alternative space. Um, Mm. It's like, well, the way I talk about it is we make disciples where we live, work, learn, and play. And the problem is that that's four spaces. The problem is the church created another space called church. And unfortunately, it's usually not where we live, work, learn, and play for most people. Right. They think of it as an alternative uh, space and event altogether. Mm-hmm. And so you're literally pulling people out of life to, quote, unquote, do discipleship, when mm-hmm. in reality, they're supposed to be discipled in life, so they know how to be a disciple every day. And so the yeah. work we've got to do is we've got to, we got to enter into the spaces of everyday life with one another teach people how to follow Jesus in those spaces because yeah. it's in that that they're going to be able to reproduce it. They can't read no most Christians will not ever reproduce Sunday. In fact, I I heard of a very I was with a very well-trained woman in our community, a leader of leaders without a doubt. And she you know, when we when covid hit, I said, "Well, what a great opportunity. We all get to like now do church at home. We we we've been trained for this. We're ready for this." She goes, "I could never lead church at home." And I'm like, "Yes, you can." You can open the word, you can pray, you can lead people in communion, you could, you know, you could celebrate what God's been doing, I mean, you can do all of that. She's like, oh yeah, I can do all that. I'm like, so that's a problem. You still think church is a program that a few people run. And that's the real issue, I think, in our discipleship weakness, is that we think that's where we make disciples. I would say Sunday is where you tell people that they are disciples. You remind them what it means to be a disciple, and then you go tell them to get back to work Monday through Saturday, being a disciple who makes disciples. The program yeah. is life. Yeah. Sunday is a, is a locker room conversation. It's a chalk talk. <laughs> you know, it's where the coach says, don't forget who you are. Don't forget what you, we trained you in. Don't yeah. forget what plays you're supposed to run. Now go back out there, and you've got five, six days to go live this out. So I think that's going to be a big part of it. But they've got to see somebody do it. And you, yeah. Luis, you know, I've, I've talked to you guys about this. I see it in four spaces. We've got to teach them how to have a, a vibrant life with God. That's mm-hmm. the first space. If they don't abide in him, they won't bear much fruit, John 15. Can't do anything apart from Christ. They have to do discipleship life on life, so they need to have a few others. Jesus had Peter, James, and John who saw him in his most vulnerable space as well as in his transfiguration, his most glorious. Right. So we need a few others, two to three other men, in my case, your wife, 
two, two or three women who know them really well, know their story, know their struggles, know what's going to take them out, are walking with life, helping them really experience transformation. Third, I think you need a community. So life with God, life on life, life in community. The disciples were in a community doing life together. We, if we're only doing discipleship one-on-one, who do we most look like? The other person. But if we want to look like Jesus, according to Ephesians 4, we need a, a community of, of believers with different gifts, men and women, mm-hmm. shaping our life. And so the disciples had that. They had women as well. You know, we, we know of the 12, but there's also a bunch of other women who are part yeah. of that group that were with Jesus all the time. And then you need to have a life on mission, which means we together are actively engaged with people who don't know Jesus in everyday life. And here's what will happen. If you do that together, everything I just said— the non-believers, when they come to faith, they were discipled along the way. Mm. So when they finally come to Jesus, they already know what the life of a follower of Jesus looks like because they've been doing it with you or watching you do it in front of them for a long time before they come to faith. They don't need a new believer class. They've already mm. been discipled. They've been discipled in what it means to follow Jesus before they became a official disciple of Jesus. Yeah, And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why we don't know what to do with new believers because they usually come to faith through a program on Sunday. And now we're like, okay, well, now what do we got to do with them next? It's like if they would have been doing life with a bunch of believers in community on mission every day, they would have already been further along than most Christians. Yeah. Dude, such good stuff. And let, let that sink in, people. Right, let that right. sink in. Yeah. Just, Man. just to recap what he said, I want to correct me if I'm wrong or I misinterpreted, but I was trying to write down as you've talked, Jeff. Life with God. These are the four things that he mentioned. Life with God, talking about abiding with God, having that relationship with God. Life on life, having a few other people, like a close-knit group of people in your life um, you can rely on and be accountable to. Life in community, similar to Jesus with the 12 and, you know, the women that were around him. Even the 72 disciples he sends out, you know. Of, like, there's this larger community that you're a part of, um, and you probably meet with them on a, a you know, semi-regular basis, and you're involved in their lives, they're involved in your life. And then life on mission, regularly engaging with people who don't yet know Jesus um, and creating relationships with people that don't know Jesus. Um, is that Yeah, synthesized? another way to say it is life on God so you know God and God knows you. Mm. Life on life so there's a few others who you know and they know you transparently, mm. vulnerably, mm. who can call you out, who, can, who, can, who you know you're not going to go the way of so many people we've watched fall in the last several mm. years because nobody mm. could be close enough to them. And unfortunately, mm, especially, yeah. and this is for leaders, if you're listening, unfortunately, so many leaders have given themselves permission to not be truly known or seen. And there yeah. needs to be some people who, like, they know almost everything about you. Like, you need to have mm. that level of transparency with at least mm. a few others that really mm. trust you and you trust them. And then life and community so that you can... Learn your gifts, because that's how you learn your spiritual gifts is in community. You don't learn them through a spiritual gift assessment. You learn them through a bunch of people telling you, this is who you are. This is what God's given you. I mean, that Timothy had his spiritual gift because of the laying on of hands. They affirmed him and prayed it. He knew how he was made and what he was supposed to do in community. So where you know your gifts and you know that your gifts are necessary for the building up of others and everybody else knows their gifts and their gifts are necessary for the building up of others. So you're collectively like Ephesians 4 when each part is working properly, properly building up the body in love and into maturity, into fullness. So you know your job is to help each other with your gift 
become more Christ-like. Your job isn't to have a gift run a program. That's the problem with so much of our view yeah. of gifts is we try to fit them into a program thinking. I'm not against programs. Just Please don't misunderstand right. me. But what I'm saying is the whole point of gifts, according to Paul, is to build up the body, which is people, yeah. to form them more like Jesus. So that's what the community is about. Mm. It's not just getting together to do a Bible study or have food. and I mean, those are all good things. But to say, what's my gift? How am I using it to make sure everybody else in this community is becoming more like Christ with the gift I have? And then Life on Mission, which is we are not alone on, as missionaries. We are together as missionaries because it's by our love for one another. So now we're loving together in community while we're on mission. By our love for one another, they will know we're his disciples. So that's right. the key to mission is our love for one another that they have to see. Yeah. Unfortunately, most evangelism is like me telling you about Jesus isolated from his community. And so you mm. never even get to see or experience the love of Christ. There's one real brief story. It won't take long, but I had a guy that's uh, leading a missional community, part of our church, and they, they do it amongst like the boating community, and it's all around recreation. And uh, he said, man, we got this one guy with us who's like, man, I love you guys, and I love this community, everything about it. I want to be a part of this. I want to be with you guys all the time, but I just don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And he said, what do I tell him? And I'm like, you tell him he's wrong because he, Jesus is the community. <laughs> like Everything he's experienced is Jesus at work through his body. So he must have a view of Jesus that isn't something other than what he's been experiencing. Your job is to help him understand, no, you actually really do love everything Jesus is about because that's us. And what you've been experiencing for the last year is Jesus working his life out through us to you. So you just said you love all this. That's from Jesus. That, well, that's mission. The guys are already like so close to coming to yeah. faith in Jesus because he's experienced the love of Christ in community that's on mission to him yeah dude so good jeff so so good mm. yeah part of part of part of you know what we want to do today is is kind of i want to turn the corner here a little bit is like this is what we're talking about one-on-one -on -one discipleship or or a group on one discipleship maybe you know and that kind of thing uh, but one of the conversations that you and I have been having with Melissa and, and part of what we want to do here in the greater Seattle area is like, how do we uh, uh, join Jesus in what he wants to do here and talk about a, a disciple making movement uh, locally and abroad? And, and I know that your heart kind of burns for that kind of thing. Uh, so when you think of you know, disciple making movements, kind of like replicating, you know, that story of uh, those guys in that, you know, uh, recreation kind of missional community, and then kind of uh, uh, growing that and, and multiplying that in, in, in city environments, what kind of things come to mind? And, and, and what do you get excited about? Yeah, I, well, I first of all, I get excited about a John 17 vision of the church, Jesus says, is, you know, that um, my prayer Father, is as I am in you and you are in me, may they, referring to all who will believe, may they be in us, and may they be one, so the world will know you sent me. The glory I've get, that you've given me, I've given to them. And Jesus, what Jesus is talking about is this idea of glory is the true nature of something being revealed. That's what glory is. So Jesus comes as the true revelation of God in physical form. That's the glory. Then he gives it to us. We are his body now. And we now are revealing the true nature of what God is like to the world. And his prayer is, Father, 
as I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us and may they be one, so the world may know. Well, what is that? It's like the world would see the glory of God through the unity of the church being one people. And the problem is we're telling the world a lie when we live as though we're divided, as though we're a bunch of individual churches competing for market share instead of we're one body, one church with one head who is Christ working together for the sake of his glory being seen through our oneness on mission. So one thing I'm really passionate about is the church would die to their ego and logo and make their ego Jesus and their logo the kingdom of God. And they would actually, they'd actually start going like, this is his church. And we're all on the same team. Why in the world are we not all just working together? We have all that we need to reach all of Seattle, without a doubt. If we would just be unified as one church, working on mission together in everyday life. So that's one thing I'm really passionate about. The second, when you talk about movements, historically, the tipping point of a movement in terms of Christianity from the day of Jesus was when you got one uh, church— and I'm going to use the language gospel, community, and mission, because unfortunately, when we think church, we think building and structures and programs. The early day of the church was like a group of people who loved Jesus together, likely not much bigger than a group that could fit in a house, right. desperately loving Jesus, loving one another, and wanting the lost to come to know Jesus as well. They're on mission together. They know their role on this planet is to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven through us. Like, we're going to be the means by which you're going to do it. When you saw one of those per 1,000 people in a population context, this is historically kind of the, the things we've learned. When that happened, one to 1,000, church to population, mission community to population, you saw a tipping point. And after that, it just like takes off. It's like movement, transformation, spiritual awakening, culture absolutely transforms. So what I am hoping and praying for is that we will live into that reality, that we will pray for, work towards one gospel community on mission per 1,000 people in every major population center in the world. That's what I want to see happen. Uh, We're trying to do it here in the greater Puget Sound. That would be 4,000, call them simple churches, call them micro churches, call them missional communities. I don't really care what you call them. It's a group of people who love Jesus together on mission in everyday life. So we want to see that happen where we live, work, learn, and play. In the Puget Sound, that's 4,000 of them. Take Microsoft alone, 70,000 employees, 70 buildings, interestingly enough. Mm. So maybe we should just have one gospel community mission per building. Uh, (laughs) There's a group of Christians from probably a lot of different local churches, but all on the same team, loving Jesus, loving one another, loving their fellow employee for the glory of God, that some in that building will meet Jesus. And they make it their goal that every day, every employee in that building has an opportunity to run into Jesus through his yeah. people on mission at work every day. That's what I want to see in every workplace, every school, every neighborhood, yeah. every place of recreation where we live, work, learn, and play. So that's what and I'm excited we, about. <laughs> yeah, and we call that gospel saturation. That's right? gospel that's... saturation. Yeah, if that happens, we will see the Puget Sound Uh, saturate with the gospel and that's why we're calling the vision saturate the sound right now there's about 110 churches with over 150 leaders that are saying can we see this happen together and uh we have a long way to go but just that alone is a remarkable thing that that many leaders are going okay let's stop doing this alone let's do this together and let's get our people working together 
And when I speak to leaders, I'm like, would you be okay if people from your church formed a group with people from two or three other churches in their neighborhood to be on mission yeah. in that neighborhood? Would you be okay with that? And some are like, yeah, but where would they give their money and where would they attend on Sunday? I'm like, stop thinking like that. That's right. not at all like what we read in the New Testament. Nobody had that question in mind. They were like, how do we reach this neighborhood? That's it. Right. God will take care of all the rest as we yeah. join his mission as a unified church. In fact, I would say the mission Jesus built requires both that kind of unity and pragmatically can't happen unless we all do it together. That's so good, and that goes back theologically, to John yeah, theologically, we're telling a lie about God if we aren't one. Pragmatically, we can't accomplish it unless we're one. So Jesus is brilliant. The very mission he gives us can't be accomplished yeah. unless we live into our theological vision of being one church. Right. So theology and missiology are not separated. They're absolutely interdependent. Correct. Correct. So let me ask you this question. You've been in this area. You were down, correct me if I'm wrong, 10 years down in the Tacoma area when you guys planted uh, down there. And now you've been here at Doxa for a little while. How are you seeing this take place or, or take shape here in the greater Seattle area already? And then um, maybe how could it be happening more? Yeah, I was in, in Tacoma almost 12 years. Yep. Okay, and, yeah. um, and so, what you know, what we saw... There was, as we just took seriously the nature of training normal, everyday people to do this, and then we were willing to be generous to train anybody and yeah. share anything we had with each other, churches started to come together, and they started to unite, because they realized, you're gifted in this, and I'm gifted in that, and maybe we should do it together. And when they were willing to be vulnerable and say, I'm not good at this, but you are, can you help me? Then they started to come together. And vulnerability and, and neediness is at the heart of the kingdom, mm. which is the means by which we also get resourced. <laughs> Blessed are those right. who are poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Well, I think the same is true at a local, regional level, that when we say, this is what we, our church is good at, or I as a leader am good at, or I as a disciple of Jesus am good at, but here's where I'm really weak or struggling or in need, will you help me? Then you start seeing unity. And that started, and I would say Tacoma has some of the greatest right now church leader partnerships and church partnerships, maybe in the entire region, because there were a few that have been living this out for a very, very long time. I won't take credit for it. I was just one of the people yeah. who stepped into it. But we together said, can we, can we start serving each other? Can we start winning together? Can we start cheering each other on? And so we'd even get together. Uh, that was an event uh, every year called the, the, it was like Celebrate 253, which is the area code. And we gather together in Cheney Stadium and celebrate one being one church together. And, you know, and Bellevue's been doing that as well at Worship in the Park every year. And others are starting to do this. Um, so it, it, first of all, takes that kind of relationship. And we realize that pastors usually don't go there unless they learn to be vulnerable and needy with each other. So we created learning cohorts all throughout the Puget Sound, because I realized when you're in a learning cohort, if you ever did that for school, I did it for my master's um, uh, in theology, I was in a cohort. And those are some of my closest friends, or at least people I trust, because we, we were vulnerable together. We, we learned together. We said what we didn't know together. We prayed together. We hurt, hurt together. We celebrated together. Mm. It, was, it was remarkable. It was really like the church 
but at a leadership yeah. level community. Yeah. And so we realized we got to create that for leaders in the Puget Sound. So we have 10 of them right now, which about 160 leaders are in. And they pray together, they weep together, they celebrate together. They're being honest about what they're not good at together. They're learning together and they're helping each other solve problems so that eventually we get to a collaborative work that we own together. And we basically are saying we want to own five things together that we believe will be necessary for gospel saturation of the Puget Sound. One is healthy leaders, that we're really concerned that all the leaders in this region are healthy, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, maritally, all that. Second, that they all are committed to making disciples who make disciples and are getting all the help they need to be the best that they can at that in their own church. Third, that they're committed to serve the city together. One example of it is We Love Kent that now has gone all over the region, started by one high school teacher who caught the vision because his pastor's part of Saturate the Sound cohort, and he's calling all of his people to work together. Well, this guy named Matt Rourke, by now, he has God has used him to catalyze the giving of 27 million pounds of food from Everett down to Tacoma as the church is united together to serve our community. Well, that makes Jesus look really, really good uh, as a result. So that's the third Fourth is that we start new new works together, new groups, new churches. And then uh, fifth is that it's all saturated in prayer because none of this happens about apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So those are the five things we're trying to get after in a collaborative way as the church in the greater Puget Sound. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. Stay tuned as we release episodes each Wednesday. We'd appreciate it if you would like, review, share, and subscribe our podcast. Thank you for listening.